Welcome to the First Baptist Victoria podcast. Today with us, we have Gary and Lorraine Turner. We have their daughter, Emily Turner, and her fiance, Sam Pritchard. And we have myself, BJ Branson, as always, and my wife, Sandra Brewer. So, how about we all tell a little bit about ourselves? Let's start with you guys, Gary, Lorraine. We've been together for 33 years. Started dating in 1990. He was still in high school as a freshman in college. And so then we got married six years later in 97. Six seven almost seven. Years later. Yeah, seven almost eight. Yeah, years later. And so we've been going strong ever since. We met at Howard Payne in 2021. And I've been dating for one and a half years and planning to get married in December, December 31st. Uh, 2023. I guess y'all won't really know our story. We met each other in Ohio back when I was living up there with family. Like most people our age, we met on the internet. Yep. So I, I don't know if we count as a success story. I don't think we would without God. We had a couple pretty rough years, but... We had a sucky ending and then a wonderful sequel. There you go. Yeah, that works. Yeah. But... Without God in the middle of it, we definitely would not be together right now. Absolutely. I mean, we were apart for almost three of our eight years, right? Yeah. Rough stuff, right? But now we have a good example of what forgiveness should look like. Ben talked a little bit about marriage and what that's supposed to look like and what it looks like throughout the Bible. So, Sam, you're in seminary. Well, Bible college, right? Pretty much Bible college. So, what does your Bible college tell you that a biblical marriage is supposed to look like? I cannot think of the verse right now, but it's something we've actually talked about a lot. And just one of the professors who's very passionate about it is that husbands love your wives. And it says wives submit to your husbands, and he can explain it way better because he's been teaching Greek for 30 years, Dr. Ramley. But it's mutual. It's husband loves your wives, wives love your husbands. Husbands submit to your wives, wives submit to your husbands. It's a mutual thing, not just taken out of context. Oh, women need to be submissive and men they need to love. It's mutual. So that's that kind of that really the whole chapter where all that kind of, you know, relationship sass is laid out. That's where I go back to. I can't think of where it is at though. To Ephesians chapter five, I believe. Ephesians five. Yeah. That's something we've heard a lot and he's always very sound when he brings it up. We're here all in this together. When people try to take it and change it or put their own interpretation into it, they make it kind of dividing scripture, whereas it's uniting. That's what comes to my mind. I just thought of whenever we were dating, and okay, again, we were dating in the early 90s before we had texting and all that, and he, some, I don't remember what the discussion was. I must have said something about job description for marriage or whatever, but I remember in a letter that he wrote me, he wrote out First Corinthians 13, you know, the love chapter, and just said, this is our job description to each other. And we, whenever we got married and said our vows, we had the pastor talk about that and how we had shared that with one another. Love is patient, love is kind, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it never fails. It's not rude, like you said that one. Yeah. Keeps no record of wrongs. I think that goes along with what Sam's saying. It's not one side, it's not one person's job to be right or be wrong. It's both persons' job to be 
submissive to one another. Like, so don't keep records of wrongs. Don't bring up things of the past. Don't do that. And so true forgiveness, when you say, what does it look like? Scripture often refers to the church as the bride of Christ. And so I think that's the, the ultimate picture of what marriage is to look like is the way that Christ loved the church, which was to, to die for the sins of those who believe. And it actually is for the sins of all, but those who choose to believe become the bride of Christ. And so if we submit to one another, if we love one another in that way, doesn't mean just as Christ didn't overlook sin and there's consequences for sin. We do things in marriage to offend the other. Sometimes there's consequences, but the ultimate is that forgiving attitude and that loving attitude that Christ displayed for us. If we display that to one another, again, that's what I see when I look at a biblical picture of marriage. I think also going along with what he said, so many people are like, it's a 50-50 relationship, but I've heard more than one pastor or somebody say it's 100% on both sides, Absolutely. and I think it should be like that, because you shouldn't, just because you have a bad day or you're going through something doesn't mean that you're rude or unkind to your husband or wife or anything like that. Just that give you an excuse to Yeah, we're not an excuse to, to go 50%. Some people even say 80-20 when you're having a bad day, but it should never be that. It should always be 100%. I think another thing that we learned from Scripture is that our fulfillment doesn't come from our spouse. Right. Sure, we share a lot of things and we do a lot of things together, but at the same time, your fulfillment has to come from your relationship with, with God and uh, seeking Him first. And then that allows you to have that attitude to treat your spouse in a way that honors God. So when you honor God first, it, it helps you develop that attitude. Just add one more verse, and it applies to everyone, not certainly not just in marriage, but it's, it's Romans 12 too, being renewed by the transform, transforming of your mind. As someone who does marriage counseling, today I had a very intense marriage session. Well, it actually, I take that back, through a lot of prayer because I was dreading the session in some ways and I asked God for guidance for it but it's a it's a couple that they're just they're just going through a really hard time and they need to change the way they're thinking some of their thoughts about the other person and that it's not just the way they think it is it may be you know they need to hear the other side and change maybe what their thoughts and perceptions are about what was really going on in different situations and so we have to be open to the spirit being able to change our mind about certain things. I think also not just being 100% to your partner, but going along with what you say, 100% to God first. Absolutely. And then you can be 100% to your partner after you're 100% God. Absolutely. God and following Him yes. and doing what He tells you to do. God first, then your spouse, yeah. then your children. Yeah. Yeah, I get that one um, a lot. And I think that a lot of parents probably do is this notion that, you know, kids first and then you'll figure out your marriage and it's really easy to forget you had your spouse first right like these kids wouldn't be here and you know they're half of them is your partner dude like you guys really can't be a unit parenting them the way that you're supposed to if you ignore each other if you don't prioritize each other's needs first so it's an easy thing to think you're in the right it's all about the kids and i'm gonna ignore you and not pay any attention to you what you need doesn't matter. It's, it's all about the babies. But on the other hand, it's also important to understand that all day, every day, spending time with the kids, you have no energy left to give to your spouse. 
And so as the other spouse have to understand, okay, we wanted to do this together, but we just can't right now. And I think one of the other amazing things that really helped me was, was at first Peter 3, where it says, husbands love uh, love with your wives in an understanding way and someone weaker. It's not, and when you look at context, it's just getting done saying, you know, governments are over the people, wives submit to your husbands, and husbands live with them as with someone weaker, not because they're weaker, but live with them because God put men at the head of the household, so that's the position God chose to give them. They're living with you, submitting to that authority that God gave them. Don't be stupid about it. So like, don't take advantage. You've got this woman who probably could whoop you, but she's actively choosing not to. Like she's, <laughs> she's giving you authority. Don't let the power go to your head. Don't be ridiculous. Yeah. So what advice would you guys give to say dating couples? Couples that are not yet married, but they're trying to be biblical about their dating. No parking after dark. <laughs> yeah, it goes back to the same thing about where you prioritize your relationship with God and seek to be obedient to Him and all that you do and, and your dating falls under that. And, you know, there's some things you can do. We talked tonight in Bible study time about wisdom from Proverbs, right? Proverbs is full of wisdom and there's a lot of good information there in Scripture about just how you conduct yourself in general in relationships. And so I think that that, that goes with that. And it's important to surround yourself with other believers that's in support in your relationship that can hold you accountable and help you with the areas you struggle. One thing that I learned with my kids, and it carried over, I didn't know it at the time when I was dating, but I had a guy tell me that advice for raising his kids. He said he asked everyone that was older than him or had kids older than his kids, what's one thing that you did with your kids that you would do again, hands down, and what's one thing that you did with your kids that you would never do again? And I can say the same thing for dating relationships. If you're dating, ask some people who have a successful marriage. Ask the people around you that you know, maybe your grandparents, your parents, trusted colleagues that are older say what's one thing that you did ask people you know one thing you did when you you know in your dating relationship that you would definitely do again and it also goes the same thing in marriage too you can seek advice from people who've been married longer than you called successful marriages what's the one thing that you've done to make sure your marriage has stayed healthy or what's one thing you did that didn't contribute to a healthy marriage that you definitely wouldn't repeat one thing i would say to people who are dating something that that I keep hearing, I don't know why they show up, but for some reason it's on YouTube shorts or TikTok or something, is from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 18, verses 22. And it says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And the, the thing every pastor always teaches on it, always points out, is he who finds a wife, not a girl, not a girlfriend, finds a wife. So what I tell people, or like how Emily and I met, when we first started to get to know each other, the, like one of the first questions and first like things we laid out was, we're dating to get married. Not to date, not to say we did it, not to do what everybody else is doing, just say we're here to find our wife, find our husband. So that's one of the things that's been in the core of our relationship and that we tell other people like, 
date to find somebody don't date because the world says oh dating's fine dating's what you do so there's a big difference between dating and courting but you know this is the 21st century we don't court anymore <laughs> date with intentions basketball. date with good intentions yeah yeah the other thing that we always told our kids is date for a, a period of time because marriage isn't about feelings marriage is about a commitment that you make to one another and uh, there's cultural differences between families our uh, family of origin our life circumstances our history the things we've experienced and so at least a year you get to cycle through all the different things like holidays and traditions that happen in families and make sure that hey we're going to be okay with this or no we're not because sometimes those traditions that come from our family backgrounds can be really can be big deals a big deal and i mean yeah. i've heard santa claus being a deal breaker i mean you know one family when it's a big deal and the other one's again no i'm gonna i'm not gonna pretend who he is and all that which shows it as well that if you date for more than a year then you're statistically you have a higher chance a better chance of staying married. and the other thing too is in scripture talks about make sure that the person you're dating really is committed to christ back to the very first thing he said was it's a hundred percent relationship with god before relationship with spouse and so that person's not committed believer and you are a committed believer and you get together as well as there's going to be friction the same beliefs as you yeah same is is the same jesus yeah, not to me as he is to you right not just religious right religion, but exactly. proper right theology about him to as well what he did for us on the call yeah. i've heard it explained as a triangle you you know god's the top point and you and your spouse are the bar closer you get to god the closer you get to your spouse but all the same thing your spouse the closer they get to god then you know the closer you get but if you're not closer to god you can't get close to your spouse so that's what one pastor up in ohio was telling me and sandra what the weekend before we got married no uh, i remember that and then that came up at um that the church while we were in was hosting was uh, god and then the spouse that uh, a wonderful gentleman who uh, brought it to our attention that's apparently incorrect and women are trouble and they're only going to lead you away from god and be a hindrance in your relationship to which our pastor very lovingly stepped in to explain gently no no, no your wife is significant and her walk with god matters too and she should matter to you also one of the problems that marriages and relationships as a whole face is selfishness and Ben Sermon, the entirety of it was on faithlessness. So how do selfishness and faithlessness tie into each other? Um, okay, I'm gonna awkwardly waddle my way through this because I know what I want the end result of what I'm saying to be. We'll take a little journey. You can't really have faith, like true faith, unless you actually know Christ, right? We're talking about like faith in God. And if you know Christ and you have made him like Lord of your life and he is leading you and guiding you, then you're, you know, you're putting your trust in him. You're going to prioritize him first. There's no place for you to sit on the throne of your own life if you've put God there. Selfishness has no hold there. That's not something that there's space for or time for or energy. If you keep your eyes on God and you keep God as your priority and what he wants and what makes him happy, but stay focused, right? Stay focused on God and what he wants. And there's not room to go, oh, well, me, me matters more. Those things can't coexist. They are opposite sides. Like there is no, oh, well, 
a little bit more about me today. No, like the other person's first or they're not. That's just my stance. Can't have two masters. Exactly. Unless they're one and despise the other. Yeah. Some things are very black and white, and, and that's one of them. You're either faithful or selfish. There's not really a, a little bit of both kind of a situation happening. And, right, you're a professional who handles this kind of thing regularly, right? What are yeah. your thoughts? Yeah, selfishness is up there. Probably the number one reason that couples come in and they're fighting and not doing well is they've decided they've chosen self over the other end, over God, of course that things that they want to do, you know, they're tired of doing what he wants to do and whether they want to watch their own show on TV, they don't want to watch what he watches and they don't like what he watches. So I'm going to go get my own TV. And then, so then I'm going to move to the other room. And I know that's a hot button topic because we know lots of people that have a TV in every room of their house. On that note, Gary said very early, we weren't even married yet. And he said, the bedroom is made for two things, and watching TV is not one of them. I know I digress a little bit, but that's a, that's a, if you ask me for some advice, I'm going to say don't put the TV in the bedroom. But yeah, going after your own needs and then not being intentional with turning towards the other person and spending time with the other person, those are the two top things why marriages fail, in my opinion, in my experience in counseling and just living and knowing people is that if it's about you and you're not turning and trying to meet your spouse's needs and not that you can't have your own time and go do your own thing i mean gary goes and rides motorcycles i you know go and do whatever i do you know i do you know going you know to visit family or something or you know if i want to went to the beach i want to go to the beach or whatever which i'll you know won't do again but you can't be selfish and be in a healthy marriage tell people all the time why did you get married? Because you wanted to share your life with someone. You decided you liked this person enough that you wanted to spend lots of time with them. I say it all the time. Gary's one of the very few people in the world that didn't get on my nerves, so that's how I knew he was the one for me. That's um, another reason it's important to date for a minute. Oh, I want to spend every day with this person. You've spent like 43 days with this person. You don't know what the bad ones are going to look like. Right. That's true. Like, you that's don't it. know what the every day is going to look like to you. That's it. That's it. Yeah, you can't be selfish and be in a healthy marriage. It won't last. I think like college-age kids now in high school, middle school-age kids, they're around these parents that are acting like that and they don't spend time with each other. So then these kids have no idea of what a good marriage looks like or even their, in their friendships, they don't know how to be a good friend because of the example yeah. of... The adults in their lives and family in their lives, they don't have an idea of anything like that because nobody in this world today wants to put effort in and they don't want to put effort into their spouse or their family members. Yes, sticking it out through the hard times. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, I kind of have a question for you in particular, Emily, is there is this very popular idea being presented to young women these days that simply put they can do better so like throw the whole man away like if there are mistakes made or if he doesn't live up to expectations and i mean that works for both genders but it's being marketed as sort of a female empowerment move which in reality is just anti-relationship anti-marriage not that women should ever settle for you know an abusive partner or or one who's you know treating them poorly but 
the idea that you could always find somebody hotter, somebody cooler, if he doesn't cater to your every whim. How do you think that that has impacted your view on relationships or like your friends, your age group, having this sort of idea presented at every turn in the media? My thought process has always been the same because I have these good parents and I have my grandparents and other people in my life that I've seen have good relationships with the foundation of Christ in the center of all of their relationships. I think a lot of my friends have come to me and said, I really like spending time with your parents and your family because of that good foundation and relationship that they have with me and my brother. And they're always kind to my friends and they know. And then my friends see like, oh, my, your parents like really love each other and they want to spend time with each other and how they interact with each other. And I feel like a lot of people when I was in high school, they would always talk about how they have parent issues and just like they don't have a dad in the house or a mom in the house and so they kind of have a tendency to be like what you said of oh I don't need a man I don't need that person and they see all the bad and they never look at the good and if it's bad then that's all they see and yeah I feel like if they have a view on something they don't want to change they don't want to listen to anybody else's opinions they're just more of the new age people and the movement is oh, I'm right, you're wrong, more of going back to the selfish thing is I have this opinion on life and I'm not going to change it and they don't want to listen to anybody else. They don't want to work the hard stuff. Yeah. Trade-up culture is really just give-up culture in disguise. Mm-hmm. We have the media and the internet and everybody around us. Love is no longer for Corinthians 13. It's affirming whatever it is that I want to do. And if you don't affirm everything I do, then you don't love me. If you don't worship me, you don't love me. And they don't realize that by definition, they're not following their own standard. Right. Can you really think about how toxic that is for a second? If you don't live up to the standards I have decided I need you to be at, you don't love me and I am the victim and I should leave you. That is like the most toxic, narcissistic thing and if you weren't like that, like, no, I don't do that, but it really, it is. Like my partner wasn't good enough for me. Isn't it sad? I'm gonna divorce them. Like, excuse me, I don't think so. You're not the good guy in this scenario. You're not, like your partner's trying. Especially since you weren't worshiping them. I mean, you shouldn't be worshiping anyone other right, than Right, and that goes all the way back to where we start, right? His relationship with God has to be number one. And so that faithlessness and selfishness definitely go hand in hand because it's everything, right? If you have that relationship with Christ first and then your other relationships, whether it's spouse, children, friends, all those things is your devotion, your allegiance is to Christ first and then that other person, they're worshiping God along with you and together you're on this journey. So in closing, what advice would you give to couples in their various stages of life, whether they're budding or mature or unequally young, you just have relationship troubles? One that Emily and I always tell people, because this is something that we're good at most of the time, is communication. We over-communicate, <clears throat> talk about stuff. Anytime Emily and I have had problems or just arguments or anything, just whatever it was, it was just because, most of the time, because I can't explain things very well, but because we didn't communicate 100%. So, yeah, that's that's something that's been probably the strongest in our relationship is just communication. 
And I think stop letting little things bother you. Like if you don't like what your person is wearing or what they're feeding you, even like the little things, if they say something so little and you're like, oh, that was kind of annoying. But so many people nowadays, if their spouse does something they don't like, they just explode onto them. And it should just, goes back to communication to sit down and talk to them. But even if it's like something so small that you don't like the shirt they're wearing, just ignore it. Like, don't let it bother you because that just starts arguments that don't need to be started. And there's the other side of that too, is like, if it's something small that does bother you, if you can let it go, let it go. But if it's still going to bother you, communicate and talk about it. One of my favorite topics is understanding and accepting that their brain does not work the same as your brain does. No. Yeah. This has saved many an argument in our house, and I laugh that we are the poster children for it. Men have a nothing box. They can drive down the road, they can watch TV, and they're not thinking about nothing. So when wife, when you ask them, honey, what are you thinking about? And they say nothing. We think they're lying because our brains are constantly spinning. I remember we were in Sam several years ago um, eating or whatever, and I guess I just had this look on my face, and he said, what are you thinking about? And I said, you don't want to know. And I said, because in the last two minutes, I have thought of 10 different things, and I can tell you how I got from here to here. And he's like, yeah, never mind. God made us differently in order to fulfill certain needs in life. I mean, if whenever he went out to hunt the bear for dinner, if he was thinking about me and the kids at home, he'd get eaten by the bear. God gave him the ability to be one tract and compartmentalize his thoughts. We were meant and designed to be the homemakers, to take care of the home and to juggle multiple tasks. So much goes into the idea of a biblical wife, and it's not like a subservient, you know, barefoot and pregnant, nothing else. Women are actually called to be strong and to be intelligent, to have good Marketable skills was how it was listed. Basically, be entrepreneurial, have a side hustle, contribute to the finances when your husband is unable or not willing. Like, we are designed to juggle arguably more than what men are capable of, mentally speaking. You know, that's not an insult to us, it's just a difference. It's how God made us different on purpose, and it drives us nuts sometimes. Oh, yeah, for sure. But if you can understand that, I mean, I remember learning it in my sociology of marriage class when we were dating, and this was way before cell phones. And so we had a phone in the dorm, and I called him, and I said, guess what? You're not an insensitive jerk. You just can't help it. And he doesn't really remember that conversation, but it's very vivid for me (laughs) because he was like, "Um, okay. And we've been given the example is that our brains are differently. So, you know, if I think he's not listening, well, okay, sometimes he doesn't listen. But me thinking that he's not telling me what he's really thinking because he's really not thinking anything. I mean, there's, you know. And along it, those same lines, the brain's being different and, and working differently. And I think it's important, Sam talked about communication. But learn how to communicate with, with one another. Mm-hmm. Different people communicate differently. Yes. So we have to communicate with one another. And it uh, drives me crazy when people don't say what's on their mind. Something's on your mind, tell me. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to do that other than be rude, be ugly. But... If I say, what do you want to eat? And you say, oh, it doesn't matter. And I chew Whataburger and you're like, oh, I didn't want to eat here. Why did you say it didn't matter? You know, if it matters, say it matters. And don't say, well, I don't care. Or I don't know. Have some opinion on it stating that I will always do 
what you want me, but it means I will take it into consideration if, if you really have, if there's a conflict with what's going on. So say what you mean and mean what you say is a good way of communication. Common argument probably early on, but even later on that we did, he was going to go out probably to the creek with the guys and he said, is that all right? And I said, yes. Well, I didn't, didn't really want him to, but I didn't say that. And I said, yes. So he knew that I really didn't want to, but he knew that I said yes. So he went and did it. And we came back and had a very harsh, hard discussion that say what you mean. If you didn't want me to go, just say it. I might have still gone anyway, but at least tell me what you really meant and what you really thought and what you really needed and felt. You need the option to consider your feelings. Right. Don't just say yes when you really mean no, right. I'd rather you do something else. Yeah. Which goes into expectations, which was another thing that he and I argued about a lot early on. I don't think we hardly ever do now. But it was, if you've got one idea about how the night's going to go, say that. If you expect that they're going to be home at 7 o'clock, but they didn't say they were going to be home at 7 o'clock, and then you get mad when they come home at 8 or 9 o'clock, you can't be mad. You can, but you don't have any grounds to stand on because you didn't say it. So that's why it gets goes back to Sam's communication. People look at me crazy. We've been married for 30 years. He should know what I meant. If he didn't say it, he didn't know. It's funny because all this, all of marriage and family advice goes right into ministry. It's pretty much the same concept with communicating with parents. You can't just say it once. You got to say it multiple times and you got to right. speak their language and, and say it that way. So a lot of this stuff, I just, I hear it. I'm like, Man, that applies to youth ministry. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it applies in, in not just marriage relationship, in friendships. Mm -hmm. I mean, in parent-child relationships. I mean, it, yeah. Also, mom's favorite word is choice, and that's what I always think about because I hear in my head my <laughs> favorite word is choice, and it's just like you have a choice to respect your partner, and you have a choice to not get angry with them with the expectations and the communicating, and you have a choice to to be 100% to God and to your partner. So just always remember that you have that choice. What advice would y'all give? Not to be confused with selfishness, okay? Because this is sort of a, a concept. Your spouse should be your second priority right after God. You should consider them and actively seek to spend time with them and they are important. They are a human and you cannot live through your marriage and through your days expecting them to be able to fulfill every aspect of your life to save you from every situation to be some sort of flotation device if you are drowning in some sort of hardship cry out to god before you go crying to your spouse all right like you can't expect them to save you from every situation to save you from your own feelings if you are seeking god first then you're going to be growing into someone who can handle your own feelings who can handle your own situations it is unfair and i think that honestly that was probably the biggest issue in our marriage is that we were young and we were stupid and we assumed we would be the only thing each other ever needed. You're not. Take advantage of community resources. Reach out to a counselor if you need one. Women, surround yourself with other godly women who can pray for you and pray with you and help you study and hold you accountable. Dudes, do the same thing. Find yourself some good guys who are going to have your back when situations come up. Not every problem in your life is a, hey, spouse, fix this for me. Like, you can't live in each other's pockets and have literally every moment be about that person. They are going to suffocate. They're not going to live up, and you're both going to get bitter 
And I know for a lot of couples, that turns into, well, if you can't be this magical, wonderful savior, somebody else can. Or, well, then I guess I don't need one. And then you have infidelity or you have depression. You have sitting alone in a room talking to not your wife or not anybody else. And neither of these are okay. So in your marriage, when the hard times come, because they will come, there will be storms, cry to God first and then seek resources, seek friends, read the Bible. Do not automatically assume that it is your spouse's responsibility to carry the entire burden for you. Love is, as defined by the Bible, love is a choice. Love is not an emotion, it's a decision. Especially in 1 Corinthians 13, love actively does not hold record of wrongdoing. Love actively forgives. It's not, oh yeah, love happens to forgive, it happens to forget. No, it's, you choose this. Yeah. And I think that's a very powerful thing to remember. And also, marriage is a picture, right? A perfect marriage, which doesn't exist, but let's pretend that it does. A perfect marriage will perfectly represent the marriage that we have with Jesus Christ as the church. The Christ is the head of the church, and so the husband is the example of Christ to his family. And I know I'm not very great at always showing, hey, this is what Christ looks like, you know, especially when it comes time to wake up. I, I'm, I'm not very nice when I'm not conscious. That's not a very good representation of who Jesus is. It was a great opportunity to learn forgiveness being a choice. If I'm ready to wake up, I wake up fine. But if I'm not ready to wake up and my alarm doesn't go off, I'm an angry bear. Well, I'm that way even when the alarm doesn't go off. So I, I'm not going to say don't feel too bad because that's something we want me to work on. That's really all I have is always remember that you are somebody's example for who Christ is supposed to be. And sometimes that's yourself. You know, and live live like you're modeling is supposed to be. And that's just that's just relationship advice, not necessarily dating, marriage, but like you said, friendship, parental. All of it. If you go back to the Ephesians where he talks about husbands and wives relationships, he talks about parent and child relationships and he talks about general relationships and it all comes down to that example that he's and choose to follow that relationship with him as well. You know, it's not just choosing your spouse, it's choosing Christ over and over and you like All right. Gary, you want to pray us out? Sure. Thank you for uh putting together probably thanks for the opportunity to discuss relationships and marriage uh, relationships uh, specifically and just uh, Father, thank you for Lorraine and our relationships that you put together. Thank you for Emily and Sam. I thank you for DJ and Sandra and Father I just pray as followers of you, Father, we would all work on our relationship with you and continue to build strong relationships in our families and our homes and in our community, Father, and as an example with Christ on the cross and forgiveness of sin and how uh, we are seen as pure before you, Father, that light, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.